This is Travel Wise, the travel podcast for growth-hungry entrepreneurs. Join us as we explore travel, continuous learning, and the psychology of flow. Ready for takeoff? Ask me why. Welcome, everybody, to 52 Living Ideas. We are here for the next installment of our exploration of this book right here, which is Flow, the Psychology of Optimal Experience by Mihai Csikszentmihalyi. But before we get started, Maritza and I both agreed that we had to do some kind of little tribute today because in the two weeks since we have all seen each other before, sadly, MC, our favorite author here, passed away at the ripe old age of 88, I believe it was. On October 20th, he passed. And so we just wanted even to take a little moment and have that moment of tribute to MC. And I see, oh, Maritza found a nice article here from University of Chicago. And Jyoti just pointed us to the fact that there was a great little write-up here in the New York Times. I thought I might even just read a little bit about this, really to emphasize the importance of his work. I know I had even read one of the tributes that came out the day after he passed that pointed out how when he was starting out in the field that it was even so rare for people to be in the field of psychology to be thinking about consciousness or happiness as subjects of research. So even just to do that was so revolutionary. And then what he was able to discover with flow and the impact that it has had on so many people's lives, so many different fields. So I even just thought I'd read this part from the New York Times article, which, which describes how Csikszentmihalyi, uh, who went by Mike, apparently, I didn't even know that, but apparently when you can't say Mihai Csikszentmihalyi or MC, like I like to say, you could just call him Mike, but it says he was a polymath whose passions for painting, chess playing, and rock climbing informed his works on subjects as diverse as the teenage brain and the psychology of interior design. But it was his research into creativity and focus, which began while he was a graduate student at the University of Chicago, that constituted his life's work and that made him a public figure after the breakout success of his 1990 book, this one. Flow. And then flow became not just a subject of serious research in psychology and now neuroscience, but also part of popular culture, essentially. And, um, and it also even led to him in the early 2000s getting together with Martin Seligman to found what's now known as positive psychology. And that movement in itself has had such a profound impact on our culture in the intervening years. Uh, just maybe read a little bit more from this article. Uh, it says here, Csikszentmihalyi was such a leader in our field, it's hard to do his contributions justice. Lori Santos, a professor of psychology at Yale wrote in an email, I think in a world where it's become harder and harder to focus, his work on flow has become even more important. Dr. Csikszentmihalyi did not just explain flow, he offered a pointed critique of why so many people fail to achieve it. He cited countless studies showing that most people prefer meaningful work over mindless downtime, but argued that Americans in particular had been conditioned to hate their jobs and love passive relaxation. 
that's a perfect tie into what we were talking about last week. And is that I think going to lead us into our conversation for this week, which is going to be all about flow and relationships, how to find flow in solitude and also with other people. Marisa, did you want to say anything else in our tribute here to MC? I think you did a beautiful job. I'm going to leave it there and allow us to move on. So just so you know, for people who might be new to this presentation here, the format for what we're going to do, we have a little PowerPoint presentation. We're going to do a quick recap of where we are in the book. So if you've missed anything, just so you'll know where we are, we're, we're almost getting toward the end here of this book. So just that quick recap, then we're going to go through, just give a brief summary of things and ideas and important quotes that came up in this chapter. We're gonna go from there into breakout rooms. So you'll have time to discuss with a small group your own experiences with flow in solitude and flow with other people. Then we'll come back to the main room, have everyone have an opportunity to put forward your best question of the night We'll take the list of everybody's best questions and then do a lightning round to answer as many questions as we can. But so first, our little recap for where we are here in the book. So just first, what is flow? The state in which people are so involved in an activity that nothing else seems to matter. The experience itself is so enjoyable that people will do it even at great cost. Flow is typically defined as that state of consciousness that is both optimal experience and peak performance, where you both feel your best and perform your best. And it's characterized by being so immersed in the activity that your sense of self vanishes, time seems to pass strangely, and you're in that sweet spot between anxiety and boredom that flow channel we're gonna talk about where your challenges meet the skills. And this is our favorite graph that Maritza put together to us that, that shows this flow channel, this sweet spot, as I said, between anxiety, frustration, fear of failure on the one hand, or just boredom, routine, and loss of interest. Flow is that Goldilocks spot. and the most important thing that I love about this graph that I think is always important to mention is how it is a rising graph that it involves you to keep developing your skills and growing yourself in order to face new challenges. So it's not just a static moment that you find, but something where you've got to keep developing your skills, embracing new challenges and growing as a person. And then here's just a quick recap of the chapters that came before. The very first chapter introduced us to this question of what exactly is happiness. We used chapter two to do a basic exploration of consciousness, specifically focused on attention. Uh, then going to chapter three, that was the chapter that really broke down what exactly is involved in a flow state. We learned about clear goals, immediate feedback, the balance between challenges and skills, the experience that action and awareness seem to merge, that you're totally 
concentrated in the task at hand. There's no distractions. As I said, your sense of self seems to disappear. Time passes strangely and the activity is experienced as an end in itself. In chapter four, we talked about some of the conditions of flow. Then we went into chapters five and six, which talked about the body in flow and the mind in flow. Then last time, last session was chapter seven, which was all about finding flow in work. And in that chapter, MC pointed out that in our lives, and if you really even think about how do we spend most of our time, the opportunities to find and create flow happen most in work opportunities and then also in relationships. So last time we did that in-depth exploration of flow and work. And so today we're going to be focused on flow and our relationships with other people, as well as flow in solitude. So that gets us right in here to chapter eight, enjoying solitude with other people. And this quote, more than anything else, the quality of life depends on two factors, how we experience work and our relations with other people. And as he points out here, if we learn to make our relations with others more like flow experiences, our quality of life as a whole is going to be much improved. And I want to share that in my experience of reading this chapter, I feel this is the chapter where we learned that MC must not have been an introvert because even as he tries to describe the joys of solitude, it feels like he's always pulling teeth or rubbing up against it. And as someone who is an introvert, I've always identified as someone who's practically on the middle of that introversion, extroversion scale. But at the end of the day, I definitely fall on the introverted side of things. I definitely get my energy from being alone. And I enjoy lots of prolonged periods of solitude. So I hope that's something that in our group discussion, we'll be able to explore perhaps even more than MC gives solitude credit for when it comes to solitude and flow. Did you want to add anything else here to get us started on the chapter, Maritza? Yes. Here's the first time we hear the phrase um, in this book, in this chapter, where he talks to us about control of consciousness. And um, he's used it in the past before, but in this chapter, I find that he uses it very specifically. And I think I just want to point that out to you. Sorry, it's loud in my background, but um, be conscious of that because he is He's kind of trying to feed us through a specific point here. Um, so he does, you know, talk about how it's so essential to find ways to control our consciousness, even when we're left to our own devices. And so uh, we're going to explore what he means here. So in this first section, we're talking about the conflict between being alone and being with others. And he points out to us here, there's an inherent dichotomy associated with people and relationships. They are both the source of immense happiness and satisfaction while simultaneously the cause for much suffering and heartache. Like anything else that really matters, relationships make us extremely happy when they go well and very depressed when they don't work out. 
And then he points out here, people are the most flexible, the most changeable aspect of our environments. To me, I make the connection here with Jacob Bronowski, if anyone has been on the 52 Living Ideas discussions about the ascent of man. Bronowski has that beautiful quote about human beings where he describes human beings as the social solitary. And that's a phrase I've always resonated with. And to me, that's really the kernel of what we're exploring here tonight. The way that we are both social beings and solitary beings. And I love how MC points out that, that both these aspects really are, are so important to who we are, that when they go well, we're really happy. And when they go wrong, it's the worst kind of misery that we can experience as human beings. So hopefully we're going to think about and get some really good tips and ideas and suggestions for how to make these flow experiences so that both our relationships and our solitary experiences do go well and contribute to our happiness. And here he's pointing out for us, he uses, you know, inherent dichotomy and he shows, you know, people are the worst, people can be the best. It's what I'm hearing between the lines here is that there also is a lot of play here for which perspective are we focusing on? Do we get stuck seeing things only this way? Because that could be to our detriment. And sometimes it's just a matter of shifting what you're looking at and you may see things differently. Yeah, I would say before you go to the next one, oh, I, before you go to the next one, I just wanted to read that last line that you have here on this slide, which I think is great, where he points out how we define and interpret a social situation makes a great difference to how people will treat one another and how they will feel while doing it. I think this ties in with the idea that people can be the most flexible, changeable aspect of our environments. And that's the other people and also ourselves. So how is it that we can think about how we are perhaps interpreting or defining the situation that we are in to make it more of a flow experience and to have it contribute to our happiness and not lead to depression? Awesome. Yes, I agree. That is a great um, little uh, statement there. I just want a um, quick uh, MC announcement here. Guys, if you want to grab a copy of this presentation, I dropped the link in the chat for you. You know, we're not reading all the lines, but you're welcome to grab it and just, you know, kind of chew on it on your own separately if you wish. So next we're gonna go into the section about solitude and starting with here, the pain of loneliness. And I do love the quote that Marisa's got here at the top, which says the ultimate test for the ability to control the quality of experience is what a person does in solitude with no external demands to give structure to attention. And in this section, MC points out how as human beings, we are generally hardwired to focus on the negative most of the time. And I guess it makes sense in terms of our survival that we have to be focused on the things that could go wrong in order to make sure that we are going to survive and live to see another day. But that can create all sorts of problems. And that if you aren't proactive about your own consciousness and what's happening when you're just all alone in your own thoughts, that that could lead to 
misery, depression, unhappiness. And so how do we take control of consciousness and take control of our inner experience? Here, so this section to me, it's, it's very poignant. I feel like he's pointing out something very, very interesting that so many of us experience and perhaps don't even usually dwell on long enough to identify what it is or the fact that there's any possibility to direct it. Um, you know, it's the, like, so in, in this section, he asks us, why is sol solitude such a negative experience? And, you know, Joy, I already told you, but wait, it's not always this negative experience. That's true. But if we, if we look at the moments when it is, you know, it's interesting because, um, so MC tells us that keeping order in the mind from within is very difficult. And when we were looking at flow and thought, we kind of put this statement under the microphone, under the microscope a little bit. And we were discussing this, you know, the, the push and pull that we experience with order and chaos. And, and we, when we don't structure our thoughts, kind of they take over and mayhem ensues. And what he's saying is that this mayhem that ensues with the undirected mind causes us to feel this pain when we're all alone. And it's kind of like, because you didn't plan ahead, you kind of find yourself sitting here wallowing as it were. Um, I'm gonna go ahead and read this questions that we have up here. We're gonna get back to them, but um, I don't think there's, it's possible to read these questions enough. And I think it's really important that all of us, you know, read them as many times as we can for contemplation. What happens when we are left to our own devices, alone, when the dark night of the soul de descends? Are we forced into frantic attempts to distract the mind from its coming? Or are we able to take on activities that are not only enjoyable, but make the self grow? Marissa said, we're definitely going to come back to these questions. I just want to point out, I think it's a great distinction he makes here between activities that require concentration and grow our skills and grow the complexity of ourselves versus killing time. And to me, this felt especially poignant reading this now in the 2020s, as opposed to 1990 when the book came out, because I immediately think of scrolling through social media, which was not something that he could have talked about then, but which seems like the best example we now have culturally of what it means to just kill time. Because I have to say, even things like television, maybe this is just me, I'm sure lots of people just watch television to kill time, but I'm someone who's always, perhaps it's just from my background as someone who always loved literature and stories. So I'm the kind of person who, for me, watching a television program, a movie, any kind of narrative is absolutely always a flow experience for me because I'm always simultaneously so absorbed in the story. And then there's just like another part of my brain that's just constantly trying to analyze, okay, how is the story coming together? And how do how is the craft working? And it definitely is an opportunity for me to think about developing some of my own skills in that area. So I always give television a little bit of a pass. I think there's ways that you can make watching television a flow activity. But social media and 
the way that infinite scroll through social media has been designed by the creators of those platforms has been designed intentionally, I think, to, to be this kind of, you know, the, the quick hit where there is just not even necessarily any connection between what's going through your, your scroll feed and, and does seem to be the premier example of what it means to just kill time versus engaging in an activity that allows you to grow yourself. Right, there's actually a phrase that, sorry, one more thing, Andrea. There's actually a phrase that um, MC uses here to describe exactly what Andrea was just saying. He talks about it's, it's what we're looking to do is increasing opportunities for actions and the abilities to act. So keeping with the theme of solitude, now we're going to go into what he calls taming solitude and how we put order to what could be the chaos that descends when we are just left to our own devices. But the way he puts it here, again, this, this to me is where I think you could tell that MC was just not an introvert. As it says here, to keep control in an alien environment, one must impose one's own order on the wilderness. Which seems a little bit harsh for describing being alone and in solitude, but I think he does have a point. The point of the value of being able to control our attention, control our thoughts, and being able to establish some order that will lead to us having more positive experiences and more happiness. And I, I just wanted to read this one in the middle here that says, how one copes with solitude makes all the difference. If being alone is seen as a chance to accomplish goals that cannot be reached in the company of others, then instead of feeling lonely, a person will enjoy solitude and might be able to learn new skills in the process. On the other hand, if solitude is seen as a condition to be avoided at all costs instead of as a challenge, the person will panic and resort to distractions that cannot lead to higher levels of complexity. Again, here, I just want to point out, this is um, a very classic um, statement of change your perspective. Make sure that you're not stuck only looking at the one perspective because you can find benefit in switching perspectives here. So now we're gonna move on to flow in our relationships and starting with flow and the family. And so here I also wanna to go to the one here that's right in the middle of the importance of how we can use our relationships with our family to give us these incredible flow experiences. He says, you're being assured of one's worth in the eyes of one's kin gives a person the strength to take chances. Excessive conformity is usually caused by fear of disapproval. It is much easier for a person to try developing potential if he or she knows that no matter what happens, there exists safe emotional base in the family. And this definitely resonates with my own experience of the value of 
family relationships as much as friends or those people that you choose to bring into your life that a, a family what what parents can offer their children that's so important is that stable environment and that unconditional love that can serve as a foundation that can then allow that child to grow up and flourish and start to explore their creativity in all sorts of ways because they've started with that solid, stable foundation from a family. Here, what we're being um, told is that the family relationship, just as any relationship, actually, it's a living, breathing thing. It is dynamic. It is changing. It's not a solid state. It's not static. And if we treat it as such, it's going to wither and die. You have to treat it like it is something that requires nourishment and anything that you value requires that you exert some of your psychic energy. And, and so here we see that it's a necessary condition for improvement. And I love this, you know, the increase in complexity. That's what you're seeking because that's where you're going to be able to get into your flow channel because if it's too simple, it's not going to get you there. And it's just like, you know, they're, they're not but so many plants that if you put them in a container and ignore them and don't ensure they have enough sunlight or water are going to flourish and thrive. And that's the case here with relationships that it does require one to, you know, it's, it's almost like if, if you want to look at it from, you know, software, it's an iterative process. You have to continue to move and improve and I really, there's a, there's a little section here towards the, um, in this section, it's a very tiny statement. And he's talking about something that Cicero is saying, you know, that Cicero run, once wrote that to be completely free, one must become a slave to a set of laws. I don't entirely know if, I don't agree with that entirely, but the next statement, MC kind of switches it around, he goes, accepting limitations is liberating. That part really resonates with me because it's this idea that, you know, if you have this one thing that you think is good and then there's something over here that could be better, but you have to let this one go. You have to open this hand so that this hand is in an open position and able to grab the next thing. And I, I feel like that's kind of the way relationships in general work you have to kind of move forward. You have to accept that there is going to be change and you may lose something, but ultimately, as long as you're moving forward, it's gonna be good. And then just a little more here on flow and the family. And he makes this, I believe, profound observation about differentiation and integration, which builds on what Marisa was just talking about here, how there's how in the family, you need to have both differentiation, the individuality of each member of the family. And then there also has to be this integration into the group and that there is this dynamism that each individual is growing and developing. This is the whole point of flow that we want to ride that flow channel and be continuously developing the complexity of ourselves. And then we want to integrate that with the 
family unit, the group unit, and have that complexity of the group growing as well. So as he points out here, differentiation, each person is encouraged to develop his or her unique skills, goals, intentions. Integration guarantees that what happens to one person will affect the others in the group. A key to maintaining relations comes down to maintaining both differentiation and integration. The common goals for the group should reflect the goals of individual members as much as possible. Those of you who know me know that, that probably know that this makes me almost giddy because this is something that's very near and dear to my heart. I believe fiercely that the best way to improve a community or a group is through the individual. Improve the individual, uphold the individual, and each individual within the group will make the group itself better and uphold the group and the community improves as the individual themselves approve, um, improve. And this is really a just lovely way of stating that. And I, I like, it's like, you know, you need to value your, the individual just as much as you value the unit. The, you know, here we're calling it the family unit. I think that's vital to any relationship or interaction or community. One point I think is really interesting here is this, and maybe even controversial, is this idea that a family has to have a goal for its existence, because that's not something that we hear a lot. We don't talk about family goals. We talk about family values, perhaps, or family traditions. We don't always talk about family goals. But I want to say I think I absolutely do agree with MC here, because if we don't have family goals, then we're not encouraging our group unit to grow. That just getting stuck in the old ways, the old habits, the old routines that can lead to the stagnation that is just boredom that then just keeps everybody, every individual in the group down. So this idea that each individual should have a goal, that everyone in the group should be supporting each other's goals, and then the group as itself should have goals so that there's constant push toward growth on all of these different levels. And then we get into enjoying our friends. As he says here, a true friend is someone we can occasionally be crazy with, someone who does not expect us to, to always be true to form. Because a friendship usually involves common goals and common activities, it is naturally enjoyable. It is in the company of friends that we can most clearly experience freedom of the self and learn who we really are. I'll say with friendship, I've always been a fan of the Aristotelian concept of friendship and the idea of finding someone who shares your soul, essentially someone who shares your deepest values and reflects that back to you. And then with whom you can share common goals, common activities, where the friend can be someone who helps you grow. Again, as the friendship relationship grows, each individual in the friendship pair grows as well. And then just this one line here too, that a friend is someone who shares our goal of self-realization and therefore is willing to share the risks that any increase in complexity entails. That I think is the key to how you even keep a friendship going. Maybe we've all perhaps experienced those friends that we 
keep on from a certain part of our life, even though we've perhaps grown and we've grown out of who we were when we had that friendship, but then there's that friend who still just kind of hangs on and you know, there could be that kind of awkwardness of what to do with that. But I believe certainly the best friendships are the ones that grow with us and inspire us to keep on growing as well. So here I'd like to share, there's a, a Spanish saying that um, I heard from my mother like years and years ago, and I find it to be so applicable here. And um, so I'm going to give you, obviously, I'm going to give you guys the English version. It, it originates in Spanish. And, and the tra rough translation is, in any relationship where two people always agree, one is not necessary. And that was not a statement purely for a romantic relationship. I have found that this holds true for any situation because the, the whole point of companionship, whether it's a friend or it's romantic, um, is the you know growth, right? And if all you're getting is a regurgitation of what you're saying, there's not really any interplay here. So it's, while yes, you're looking for somebody who shares your self-realization goals, you don't want them to be a carbon copy of yourself. So similar, but maybe not identical, because if they truly seem to be exactly like you and you guys get along with everything and you never have any disagreements, where's the growth? Remember, you need challenge to find that growth. So in, in my mind, I, I am of the, the belief that a true friend is somebody who there will be moments in your history together where you will vehemently disagree on something, but you manage to get past it. You manage to find some way through that. Whether or not you ultimately do agree, you can move past and grow and still be friends. And to me, that is, it's like a test, you know? You have to go through a trial by fire and that's where you know that it's true. And I love this, this quote, I really, I think it's, it's almost funny, but it's so true. It's like, you know, when they say to not, be always true to form. Everybody has off days or sometimes you see something or you learn something and you have this just belief that this is this and it may be misguided. Or even what if, you know, it's a friendship and you know, you're like super in love with this other person and your friend is like, this person is bad news. And you're like, oh, you're just jealous, right? And so there's strife there. And maybe you're, you are going a little crazy. You know, you've got the hormones going and you're not, you, you may have strayed from your true self, your inner self and your inner principles that this friend, because they share some of those principles, they can see when they're lacking in you and they'll find a way to help you through that. Even if it's just, you know, calling you names, that's, that happens. So I, I just, I really like this being pointed out that you kind of, this relationship more so than others it's a relationship where there's where that you know where you do the error testing or you know how they have the, the dummies in the, in the crash cars to make sure the car is sturdy enough in our growth this environment is the one that's the safest for, for doing those kind of uh, error testings one last point while we're still on this slide picking up from what you're saying 
I really like the last bullet point here as well about what happens later in life. As he points out here that friendships really happen by chance. One must cultivate them as assiduously as one must cultivate a job or a family. And when you think back to when you were a kid and probably the only requirement to be your friend was you showed up on the playground and hey, they like the slide and the swings too. And now you can be my best friend for life. But when we become adults, and especially when we have the demands of a job and the demands of a family, that we do have to think about friendships as something that we have to consciously put our attention to because friendships can be so valuable because they have this possibility to be a relationship that we can't necessarily have with family or with coworkers that we do need to think about cultivating friendships, putting in the work to find friends, keep friends, and grow with friends as adults. I'm going to remind you here, we're talking about control of consciousness. And when we were discussing the, um, the body and thought, I kept pointing you to the word intentionality. And this year, that's key. You know, the cultivation of friendships is a requirement. I mean, it's life is lonely. Find people to help you walk through with it. Quality people, though. You know, you don't want to randomly end up because these, these are your sounding boards. If, if this is supposed to be your safe environment, do you really want to leave your safe environment up to chance? So now we're going to extend our relationships outward into the wider community. As he points out, no social change can come about until the consciousness of individuals is changed first. I'm going to leave this one for Maritza to expand upon because I know this is one of her favorite ideas. But I, I just want to read part of what comes next here, that the concept of flow is useful not only in helping individuals improve the quality of their lives, but also in pointing out how public action should be directed. Perhaps the most powerful effect flow theory could have in the public sector is in providing a blueprint for how institutions may be reformed so as to make them more conducive to optimal experience. I'll just point out quickly what I love about this was that after this book came out, the one that we're reading here today, one of MC's graduate students who went on to much success himself, a scholar named Keith Sawyer, specifically went to study group flow. And so in the intervening years since this book has come out, there has been all sorts of work done precisely on this question of how it is not only that individuals can get into flow, but how a group, like the flow triggers for a group that allows a group to get into flow. And one of the things I see is rising interest even in corporations and other organizations to have professional development trainings now all about flow. So hopefully this is even a pattern that that's already happening and that we're going to see going forward is taking these ideas of flow and using these ideas to make group experiences in corporations, organizations, and then building outward from that to bring more flow into community experiences. Right. I agree. I really, I really like that section and that point. I love it. It says the most powerful effect that flow theory can have is to provide a blueprint. When I read that, I was like, oh, 
wow, I hadn't even thought about that aspect of flow. I find that to be fascinating. Um, so here, you know, in this section, again, we're talking about how the way to make a community better, to make them stronger, to help them grow is by improving each individual within that community. He very briefly at the end of this section, and it's a very short section, I'm a little sad, I feel like I could have had more, more time devoted to it, but it's what he does say is super impactful. At the end, he talks about Carlisle. He doesn't even bother to tell you that, he really is talking about Thomas Carlisle when he says Carlisle here. And he says, and I'm gonna read this whole section because I really think it's super important. But no social change can come about until the consciousness of individuals is changed first. When a young man asked Carlisle how he should go about reforming the world, Carlisle answered, reform yourself. Those who try to make life better for everyone without having learned Oh, wait, I'm sorry. I just totally skipped two sections. I'm going to try that again. <laughs> Reform yourself. That way, there will be one less rascal in the world. And that's Carlisle's quote. And then um, MC tells us, the advice is still valid. Those who try to make life better for everyone without having learned to control their own lives first usually end up making things worse all around. And this points again to those two concepts, the control of consciousness and intentionality. It is, and we've heard the you know, pithy saying of, you know, change comes from within, but it's not that pithy. It's really quite true. If you want to change something and it's a group, a community, the world, change yourself. Start with yourself, spread forward. We are small, but we are mighty. You look here, you have you know, a couple dozen of us on this here. Imagine if every one of us goes out into the world today and every one of us works to change ourselves. And then we interact with different groups. This is only one group with whom you interact. We meet once every two weeks. All the other groups you interact with, some of what we're discussing here, some of it is going to you know, speak to you. And then you're going to carry it forward as something that speaks to you. And the next group with whom you rub elbows is going to benefit from that. And then maybe somebody in that group is gonna move it forward. And this is the way it works. And maybe that's overly optimistic. I don't personally think so. I think this is the way to improve community. I have been saying, and maybe I get our, um, you know, a little bit of a soapbox here in random meetings, but I, I, I really do believe that this is the key. We need to hold our individuals and our individuality with the same strength with which we hold community. And that's the way to improve the community. It's the best way to do it. And, and it's, it starts with being conscious of the fact that you can control aspects of your consciousness. Walk forward with intentionality and you will find it easier 
to walk along that flow channel. I really believe that. Exactly. And important to point out too here that I do believe it is really a spiral kind of process. And Jeff Gee in our chat here is pointing this out as well that I just take this back to the Bronowski quote that we are social solitary beings, that the society can have that influence and motivation, hopefully coming here tonight and participating in this group, engaging in this group already helps shift you. And that helps you shift some of yourself, which then you hopefully bring to your other groups. And then that group then hopefully has positive effects on that individual. And it's ideally just a an upward growing spiral for, for all of us here. Yes, I do want to put one more thing on the table here for you guys to, to think about. It's not an either, either or situation. You know, when you're working on changing the individual, you cannot, um, or, or you, one should not. So it's, it is a matter of both. This chapter says enjoying solitude and other people. And if you're hiding out all by yourself only ever, it's not gonna be as, you're not gonna experience the same growth as you will when you find a way to move within both. Enjoy your solitude, but find other people to enjoy spending time with them as well. Um, I am going to take a quick second and go back to definition of flow, just really briefly, Joya, because somebody, we have a newcomer who was questioning what exactly flow was. And I just want to throw this up for two seconds. Yeah. And I'm reposting if you guys yeah, want- Yeah, repost it in the chat too, because I think um, some other people have come in late. So maybe, yeah, if you can just yep. post the presentation there, then they can get the slides there with what is flow. And then why don't we go to that other slide with our questions? So we're going to go now into our breakout rooms and we're going to come back. Oh, oh, you went just past it. Mm. Oh, sorry. There we go. <laughs> You want to read our ooh, reflection questions Sorry. here? Yes. Okay. So we're going to send you guys off to the breakout rooms to discuss with smaller groups of people these questions here. What, what do these make you think? How do you think we can implement whatever it is that this is implying? What happens when we are left alone to our own devices? Alone, when the dark night of the soul descends, are we forced into frantic attempts to distract the mind from its coming? Or are we able to take on activities that are not only enjoyable, but make the self grow? That's your reflection question for the group or perhaps anything else you might wanna share from your own experience about flow and solitude and flow and relationships. Think about the best question that you have coming out of the group. And we'll do this for about 20 minutes and then we will all come back to the main room, the big group here to share. So I will start our breakout. I'm gonna throw this into oh. the chat room for you guys. Yep. So while you're doing that, I'm gonna start the breakout rooms now. All right, looks like we got everybody coming back. All right, I think we got the group back now. So next we're going into the lightning round best questions section of the meeting. So if you'd like to 
ask or bring up the best question that you got, either maybe something you were thinking yourself or from the group discussion. This is almost a perfect illustration of our flow and solitude and relationships today, because this could be a question you got in solitude from thinking about some of these issues yourself or something that came up in your group. You can type exclamation point in chat, um, or you can use the raise the hand function here on Zoom. And first, we're just going to take everybody's questions, and then we will try to get through as many questions as we can get into in the next, uh, we have about 40 minutes or so. And then just so you know as well, there's going to be another 52 Living Ideas meetup group right after this one that's going to be all about the Gospel of John. So that's something else here to look forward to. All right, so see everyone coming in here. So first we're going to have Jyoti, and then I see Anton raised his hand, Jacqueline and Jack. So almost all the J's again with, with Anton in the middle, but we're going to start with Jyoti. Okay, firstly, we had a we had really meaningful conversation in our breakout room. And just before we were getting ready to split, I think um, somebody said, uh, let's talk about whether we can change ourselves um, in solitude or we can change ourselves in company because this was somebody had already you know, commented, I mean, posted a question here on the chat. So we came up with two different ideas, um, but I was wondering if we can bring it up and that as a question so that we can get everybody's input. It's a great question. So how do we both change ourselves in solitude and change ourselves in company? In company question. In, with others, yeah. Next, we have a question from Anton. So question I was thinking about um, when I was listening to some of what was said earlier about like um, the most important thing, uh, somebody said the most important thing in friendship is growth. And I think growth is definitely, especially if, if, if it can last, is definitely a great thing. But I was thinking, it seems like there's other values, like trust, as an example, that could be as important as growth in a friendship. Uh, not quite question format, but that's, that's actually kind of my question is, are there other values that could be as important as growth in a friendship? Yeah. Um, yeah, that's a great question. So yeah, so what are the other important values of friendship? And maybe then even how do they contribute to the flow experience as well? Tying that back to our theme of the night. And next up is Jacqueline, and I see she put her question right here in the chat. She asked, how can submerging into chaos bring you into flow? Which is a great question, and that's actually even going to be the whole subject of our discussion next time. It's going to be all about using flow as a way to overcome chaos, tragedy, the the hard parts of life. So maybe we'll get into that uh, this time, but Jacqueline, definitely, hopefully, I hope you'll come next time as well, because that's going to be the subject of the evening two weeks from today. Next up, we have a question from Jack. Yeah, so um, so a couple of weeks ago, we went over the last chapter and, uh, you know, towards the end, he was talking about how entertainment, uh, many forms of entertainment is a distraction, um, especially as a passive consumption of mass media. And, uh, and then in this chapter, he talked about 
you know, the idea of escapism with TV, you know, television and drugs. Um, so I wonder, like, you know, what everybody's thought is in terms of, of uh, you know, the escapism argument in terms of TV, specifically television, versus, like, say, reading of fiction, um, versus, say, reading of nonfiction or, or say, like, uh, reading for skill development and growth. Because it seems like, you know, in terms of the activities that he, he prescribes, it's like what would you'd want to focus on is, is things that would allow you to develop new skills um, or, you know, grow in some way to accomplish goals. And so I don't, you know, I'm wondering like how, yeah, what everybody's thought is like, can television watching accomplish goals or develop new skills that are, you know, in the process? And, uh, and how does that relate to reading fiction? Is, is, is it the same thing? watching television for fun and, and like uh, reading fiction versus like reading for, you know, skill development or personal growth, et cetera. Great question. And so I'm just going to try to summarize this maybe as um, like, what is the role of escapism and how, how is perhaps TV different or the same from reading fiction, nonfiction, other books that help with growth and skill development and how that all relates to flow. Great topic there, Jack. Let's see. We also next have Kim. Yeah, I love Jack's question because it's kind of ironic is that um, I love to watch television at night. It, it kind of tones me down, but I recently got into book clubs and it's not, it's fiction. It's nonfiction, you know, and I've never been a fiction reader. And I just love it. It's like it teaches me something new. It brings a, a new skill set to me. It's just amazing that how much I like it. So I'm trying to balance like being like mundane and watching TV at night. But then during the day, I read fiction books because I just love the stories about people's lives. It's just like, I don't know, it's, it's crazy. So. It's right, a great observation there, Kim. Did you have a question too that you wanted to add to our list of questions or just the reflection for now? Nope, just a reflection. <laughs> Thanks for sharing. Let me see. And then for questions here, I see I got a question here uh, privately, um, which is even thinking about how uh, flow can be used for harm with respect to relationships, which I think actually is a really important question to, to talk about. This is an idea that we've brought up in some of the previous sessions, the topic that's often referred to as the dark side of flow. So flow, if you remember, is defined as this state when we are wholly engrossed and concentrated in the task at hand. And it's you know described as the optimal experience and peak performance, but there's all sorts of negative, destructive activities that can also be flow activities. For example, a lot of crime activities um, are can you know, be experienced in a state of flow. So there's maybe something important to think about, um, you know, is, is there a dark side of flow when it comes to relationships? And, uh, you know, if we think that that's the case and then maybe, uh, you know, how to make sure that we have the positive flow experiences and not the dark side of flow. Let me see. So would anybody else like to put any questions onto the table? Otherwise we'll start to, go through some of the, the questions that everyone else here has brought up. I have another question. I don't know if I can ask two 
Oh yeah, go ahead. Okay. Um, so we were talking about um, flow and how it can just be on one, one part of you, right? So if we have a mind, a body, a spirit, emotions, and say we're in a flow, a mental flow, but the other parts get ignored. Is someone more in flow if they're, in, if they're integrated in all those aspects of themselves? Good question. So I, so to summarize your question, can we say like, um, like, like does flow happen when you're integrated or, or can flow happen when you're kind of separated? Is that fragmented? Yes. Fragmented. Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. Cool. All right. And I guess I'll put it out there too. If anyone else who has already asked a question <laughs> would like to ask another question, uh, we could take a couple more questions. Otherwise then we'll, we'll just start to go through everything. And Maritza, did, did I miss any questions? Just double checking to make sure that none of them. I don't see anyone else. I think that was it. I have Kim. Did you catch Kim? Yep. I think I got Sorry, Kim. I, I was yep. stepped out for just a half second. No, no, that's okay. No, I just want to make sure that, um, you know, in case anyone sent one to you by any chance. So, all right. So why don't we start then answering the questions? So we'll, we'll just kind of go through them in an order, I think, here today. So we'll start even with Jyoti's question, which I guess came from her group, which was, um, this question of changing ourselves and, you know, do we change ourselves alone or with others or both, or how does that work? Anybody want to share their thoughts about that question? Oh, I'm sorry. And yeah, if, yes, the answer, I'll just say again, you can um, raise your hand in the chat. So it looks like Evanique's already raised her hand and then you can also uh, type exclamation point in chat as well if you want to answer. But we'll start here with Evanique. Yeah, I think it's both. Um, I think you can learn. I think sometimes what I tend to do is if I'm around people, I like to be around people that like make me better or who are smarter than me in a certain area or, you know, or if I'm just, um, just, uh, I just lost my train of thought. But, um, yeah, like people that, you know, I have the same interests as, or we like to discuss different topics, or if it's a topic that I'm interested in learning about, I can get a lot, I can learn a lot about myself through that. But also I can take that home and think about it by myself and like really ask myself, how does what I learned apply to my life and how can I make myself a better person or grow from what I've just learned. So I think it, it, to me, it has to be both because you have to kind of like hear it in a group and hear other people's thoughts on it and then go home and see what thoughts you want to apply. Thank you. Next up is going to be Jyoti commenting on her own question. Yeah, that's funny, isn't it? Because I think I'm going to repeat what I, I said, but that's just for the sake of other people. Um, what uh, we had also said, what Ebonique just said, that you can do it in both scenarios, outside with the group, where you grow. Because like uh, I think Maritza had said, that when you have conflicting opinions of other people, and you are challenged, that leads to growth. So you can do that when you are with other people. 
you can grow and you can be um, not necessarily you can be reflective when you are outside. You can't because you get uh, carried away uh, in whatever is being discussed and you are, you know, you are not really yourself that much, but you can go home and reflect on it. That's one way. And then in the, when you are by yourself, you are in solitude, you sit back and you think about what happened in different situations. Where did you go wrong? And what could you do to improve that your, um, about uh, those scenarios? And that to me is also part of growth. And you're doing that by yourself, you are alone. And that is also very important, a quiet reflection, refraction. And seeing yourself, uh, yourself individual in, in a group of people where you could have actually done something different to benefit them, but you did not. And this happens quite a few times. It happened very recently with my in a group situation. And like you said, Joa, that Jody is going to answer her own question. And I, after I went home and I thought about it, so when we were in a group and I said, you know what? I think I did not do that right. I was first supposed to talk to the facilitator and then, you know, rehash the issue and seeing where this other person should be in this rather than isolating that person and just making a, a group smaller subgroup and discussing that issue. So that only happened with, with me because I sat back at home and I thought about it and I said, gee, that was not right. You know, that, that divided, that would have divided the whole group. Some would have taken my side and some would have taken the other person's side. And that was not my intent but I didn't go about doing it the right way. So both the uh, scenarios have their own you know, perspective. You can change yourself in solitude. So that was the answer to the person who had asked that question, posed that question on the chat. How can we change ourselves in solitude? Yes, you can. That is my answer. Thank you. Thanks for sharing that personal example too. I'll share from <laughs> my experience that the most significant and good changes in my life have always required both and, and even multiple iterations of going back and forth between both. I'm thinking of examples where on the one hand, first, I've needed the, the spark of the change to come from someone else. It's you know, someone else has drawn my attention to something. They've asked a question. They've put an issue on the table that I wasn't thinking about before. And that's what got me thinking in a new way. But it couldn't just be from that person because then I would just be aping or repeating what they said. Like I needed to absorb what they said and then go off by myself, chew on it in my own, put it in my own words, relate it to my own experience, and then even go back and have a conversation and a dialogue. And similarly, there have been times when a change has come because I was alone in solitude and then had some sudden insight, but in order to really even 
hash out that idea and make sure that it was going to be a good change, I had to call up my friends and say, hey, hey, this is this thing that I've been thinking about. Can we talk about this? Can you give me some feedback? And then again, I talk with them. I think about it. So so I, I would just say from my experience that to, to really have positive and powerful change, you need both. It's a both and. It's And hopefully it's what we're even doing here with 52 Living Ideas. 52 Living Ideas is an opportunity to, you hear from me and Maritza, then you get to speak, put it in your own words, you get to talk with your small group, then hopefully we close this down, you go home, think about it yourself, and we'll all meet up again and have that opportunity to come back to these topics and hash it out as a group again. See, Kim just raised her hand. Yeah, Kim. So I brought this up on my group setting. I think there's a distinction between loneliness and being alone. I definitely believe there's a distinction. So I don't know how the rest of you feel, but it, it, it's two different things. It's two very different things. So, so if somebody wants to comment, but I can be alone. I don't experience a lot of loneliness, but I can be alone, you know? So how do people feel about that? So Kimberly, I think, I think Kimberly, that's, um, this is why MC uses the word um, solitude in right. addition to loneliness, because I right. think that he also believes that one can enjoy one's own company. In fact, one should enjoy one's own company. And that's basically what he's talking to us about here. And he does use the word solitude. And I think it's just to make that distinction where, you know, loneliness is the, you know, negative aspect of not being able to control your consciousness in order to enjoy your own solitude. Okay. Um, it looks like Jacqueline. Jacqueline? Wants to, um, yep. Uh, maybe I shouldn't have raised my hand. I um, was <laughs> just thinking about loneliness and how you said it was negative. Um, being a psychologist, I'm like, what? <laughs> you know, uh, it's almost as if the only way for us to uh, experience life is really to experience the whole range of emotion, you know, and, and in order to in, in order to release an emotion, you got to go through it, you know? So how do we control our mind enough to avoid an emotion? It says if, if, if you're in emotional integrity, then you let yourself feel it and it's okay. It's all good. You're in the flow of your being, you know? I, I think, well, let me, let me clarify. I believe, and correct me if I'm wrong, Joya, that loneliness here is used as kind of the, the negative um, side of solitude it's a spectrum. So if you're, so, so I don't, I, I don't wish to in, intimate here that we think that, you know, one should, you know, never ever experience loneliness or that one is not going to, but the goal is to experience it as solitude and not loneliness. We're human. We're not always going to hit that goal. We're going to, some of us land in loneliness, but solitude is the goal, you know, if one can enjoy one's own company, then one is in solitude and not in loneliness. Does that make sense? I think of the way it's making sense to me is that solitude is more of a state of mind and loneliness is an emotion. 
And it's as if the mind is transcending the emotion in this paradigm. The mindset of what solitude is, it's being alone. It's a physical behavior rather than um, the emotional aspect of loneliness. Yes, yeah. I agree with that too. Yeah, I'll show the, the way I read it, this could just be me, but I, I read it perhaps similarly that solitude refers to the state of being alone. Loneliness, I read as the emotion, the emotional experience of solitude when it's bad. So the bad emotional experience of solitude was loneliness. Um, but you're right that there doesn't seem to be necessarily the word that is the positive valence for when you are happy in solitude. And again, I'm going to come back to you. When I, I read this, I found it very frustrating as someone who is an introvert. My, my reading of this was, I'm, I read this and thought, oh, there's no way that MC could have been an introvert because he, he goes into so much about all of the, the, the bad parts about being alone. And certainly there are horrible parts to being alone and we are social beings and there is so much value that we get from relationships. But certainly it seems that, of course, individuals are different. There are some extroverted individuals who probably almost never ever want to be alone and don't find the, the positive emotion of, of solitude, that that'd be very difficult. And there are others who we know who essentially are hermits and, and thrive, spending most of their life alone. So, so it seems there's definitely variance among individuals. There's variance within individuals. I think this was Maritza's point that we want a full spectrum of experiences that you know, even if we are an introvert or an extrovert, we don't always want the same thing all the time. So it's kind of, you know, finding finding that for yourself. But I, I, I will agree that I've, I'd also found the language of this perhaps a little constricting, that if, if, if solitude is the state and there's loneliness, which is the bad thing, we, we need a word for the, the positive, joyful flow experience of being alone. I think the, 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 you achieve solitude when you have calmed the mayhem. He talks about mayhem in that sentence, right? So in the dark, soul of your night of your soul if you call, calm that mayhem you're able to through introspection and all other, other some stuff and get in touch with yourself and then you achieve you are able to be in solitude basically so that's what i think yes and mc often describes flow as bringing order to consciousness so i hear that that's exactly what you're saying that when we're in solitude and we're able to direct our attention to bring order into consciousness that that's part of how we achieve the the positive version of being alone let me see it looks like up next we have evanique anton and jyoti yeah i think um after Jacqueline was speaking, I was thinking loneliness as an emotion. And I think, I don't think you should judge as a, an emotion as good or bad. So I think loneliness is an emotion when you feel alone, you feel like no one's around you or no one cares or, you know, or you just can't reach out, but it's not good or bad. It's just what is so. So I agree with Jacqueline when she said, you kind of just have to go through it. Like there's no other way. You can try to avoid it. You can try to be out with friends. You can be out with a group of friends and be lonely. Like you could be out with a set of people. You could be out with your family and still feel alone 
it's an emotion that you feel. It's not necessarily a state of being. So I think once you go through it and you let it flow through you, it's not good or bad. You just kind of have to experience it. And then I think once you experience it and you learn from it, you learn more about who you are when you feel like lonely. Like, what do you do in that moment when you feel it? Do you just let it happen? Or do you try to fix it like it's something wrong, bad or wrong? So uh, so I guess in that sense, I do kind of disagree with the book about the labeling of loneliness as bad or it's something out of your control. I think it's just an emotion that happens. And I think when you try to control it is where you go wrong. You just kind of have to feel it and then just come out of it you know, on, on your own a little bit. Thank you for sharing, Evanique. Let me see. Next up, we have Anton, then Jyoti, then Jacqueline. Anton next. Evanique just reminded me of something that is easy for me to forget about, about like seeing emotions as good or bad. I attended a meetup a while ago, I think this was months ago, called Finding Happiness and Fulfillment of uh, Meetup Live. It's this huge group, and, and they had that. And there's a psychologist, uh, some sort of professional that did research that was saying, um, I know <laughs> science may or may not always be accurate, but if there is scientific research to indicate that um, one way that you can get through negative or what we call negative emotions is not seeing it as good or bad, that directly ties in you're, it's an experience, but it's not good or bad as in, you know, kind of how we value things, you know, so I, I forget about that, but that's actually a good point Evan even brought up. But what I was going to say, though, was, uh, yeah, and, and she also said, too, um, as far as like you can be in a group of people and be alone, I realized when um, I think it might have been when Kimberly was talking a moment ago that like, so I'll, I'll give two examples. One example, I was around a guy who's like talking with all these, he seemed like very social, very bubbly, he seemed like he was happy when I was hanging out with him, talking with all these people. And then I, when I was just with him one-on-one, -on -one, he was like checking his phone, like feeling like he needed someone else to talk to. And then I think he even told me that he felt lonely. And I remember thinking to myself, like, what? what? <laughs> At the time period, I remember thinking, what is he talking about? Um, but I actually can relate to certain experiences myself I've been on both ends of the spectrum of being social and then like self-imposed. I still spend most of my time like as a recluse um, and I enjoy much of it. But having been on both ends of the spectrum, I found that you can actually be lonely, not always, but you can be even if you're social. And it's a strange thing to try to make sense of in your mind. Like I'm talking with this many people, or I'm around people. Why do I feel this way? But yeah, it's an interesting thing, but that can happen. So I think it's an emotion or, or, or something like that. That's that's what I have to say. Yeah, I'll just jump in just to, to give maybe try to put some frameworks around what we're saying, because sometimes when we are talking about emotions, the language that we have in English can often get in our way. So just to, to frame this perhaps in a way that will help us talk about this more. So when we're talking about this idea, so we can talk about emotions in the simplest formation, we can talk about happiness and sadness. And we can think of happiness as being a positive emotion and sadness as being a negative emotion. And now there is also a real way in which to be emotionally healthy. We want to accept all of these emotions. So it's not that sadness is bad. We don't want to resist it. We don't want to fight it. There's legitimate reasons to feel sad. Like I'm thinking, for example, like when my parents passed away, that's a sad experience. I don't want to 
fight that. I don't want to say that it's it's bad that I shouldn't be feeling that, but it's also still sad. It's a negative emotion. It's not like, oh, I'm so excited, like when I went to go visit my parents. And you know, that's a happy emotion. So I think what we're we're trying to talk about here when we're talking about the experience of being alone. There's ways in which you can experience being alone and experience it in a happy way. And there's a way in which you can experience being alone and experience it being in a sad, unhappy way. And however you're experiencing that, you don't want to fight against it. You don't want to resist it. It's not that one of these is positive and one of these is negative. And in a certain sense, it, it is what it is. But I do think it is useful to figure out to just do that introspection and figure out for yourself what is the emotion that you are feeling. And I want to say, I think Anton is bringing out a really good point. And this is certainly something I've experienced that there have been times where I have been surrounded by people and never felt so lonely in the sad sense of lonely. Like I'm thinking of a very specific time where I was at this party that I was looking forward to. I thought I was going to be meeting all of these people that I was going to really connect with. And then that just didn't end up happening. And I just felt lonely in a sad way. And not that that was necessarily negative that I'm fighting against it. It was, you know, to do the work to recognize like, oh, it is what it is. And then to, you know, change course and, you know, not go back to that setting again. So hopefully that's just some, some framework here to help us talk a little bit more clearly about different emotions. Um, let me see. I, I, Jyoti, oh. I'm going to jump in really quickly, just really quickly, a two second. It's almost a public service announcement. I would like to remind you guys, those of you who walked with me before I've heard this, um, so I apologize. But those of you who haven't, I, I disagree a little bit with some of the premise here. I don't believe we should ever choose happiness as our goal. I believe the best way to be perpetually unhappy is to keep striving towards happiness. Strive towards that meaningful path and let happiness be the byproduct. That's my um, public service announcement. Sorry, thank you. So next up, we have Jyoti and then Jacqueline. Okay. Why be so distant? Uh, I think they are both flow and loneliness, solitude and loneliness are both state of affairs. Loneliness is arising because of lack of, con uh, lack of connection with others. There's a void in the heart due to either due to lack of connection or loss in your life or inability to look at yourself as a person who is, can move forward, who is stagnated. What this book is all about, it's not about loneliness, only because this book is telling, it's a, a, a primer for people who want to advance themselves, who want to promote themselves, a way to do that is through the solitude and creating uh, some kind of a, um, some kind of recreation in your mind, connect with you, make yourself a friend so that you can enjoy life. 
and you can be a better, you can produce a little better. Because if you are in the state of flow, when nothing matters to you, everything around you, it doesn't matter whether it's time or whether there's a distraction or there's something pending that you should have been doing and you have not done, that is not your part. That is not your piece anymore. You are consumed. A lonely person, on the other hand, is very worried about what is going to happen to me. He's consumed within himself. So this book should not be compared for loneliness. And that is not to say loneliness is wrong. It is perfect or not perfect. This book is not about it. That is the whole thing. This book is about getting you to move in life. Loneliness has to be dealt with separately. That cannot be combined with this, this kind of a book. This is how I feel. Otherwise, the whole idea about flow is nonsense. If you are trying to connect it with loneliness, he doesn't want you to be talking about loneliness in this one. There's a separate topic for that. There's a separate um, psychology for that. Not that there is something wrong with it, with loneliness. You got to sometimes hit the bottom to come out. Loneliness could be your vehicle in hitting the bo bottom. And then you say, what am I doing to myself? I got to move. And that might be your way to have some order in your life. Get out of the chaos. Loneliness is a chaos. You are in the state of chaos. And that will be your, maybe that is the best thing that happened to you that you were lonely. Because how long can you stay lonely? You have to get out of it. You have to move on with the life, with the world. I lost my husband. What could be worse than that? If I stay in that brief mode, I'm done. Then I better go too. There's no point. I have to have some kind of a flow in my life. So I can, although I don't have a goal, I still don't have a goal. And you guys will, you know, you talk me out of it, but I know that I don't have a goal, but that's okay too. Because I'm consumed every day. I'm doing something every day. And there's something, sometimes it's a different thing. It's a drawing, it's a reading, it's a coloring, it's sitting on 52, or it's watching even a documentary on Netflix. So what, what, what I'm trying to say is no, whatever you are going to discuss, please don't discuss here with this book. Loneliness, subject of loneliness should not come in flow. That's how I feel. And I'm sorry. MC, I love you. Yeah, I think flow is more about having a rich inner life, basically, you know, so then you're, you're then you're, you don't have to depend on externals because your internal life is so, so rich and you can entertain yourself for hours and hours, you know. So. Marisa, maybe you want to put up your, your famous, beautiful graph there of the flow channel, because I think Jyoti's point is, is, is absolutely right. And, and that graph, I think, maybe helps to show that what loneliness is, is what's outside of the flow channel. It's, it's, it's anxiety or it's boredom or stagnation. And that what we're looking for is to be in this flow channel where we are just engaged in the moment. Our attention is totally consumed with whatever it is we're doing with the relationship that we are in at the moment, uh, the way we are relating with, with whoever is in front of us. And then that's what's, what's putting us here into flow. I think Jacqueline was up next though to share some thoughts about this. I'm feeling hesitant now because <laughs> when I raised my hand, I, I was thinking about the loneliness topic and I was just- It, it is in this chapter. It's okay. <laughs> okay. 
I mean, I didn't read the book, so <laughs> could write a different book. But um, when it when I think of when I think of loneliness, I think that it's 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 something in your body. It's something. It's it's a physiological experience that's telling you something, and that's what every emotion is. Um, it's directing you. There is order even in chaos that even when something is building, something is being destroyed, energy always flows. So just my experience personally with, and I was actually, I was talking to Sharon and, and SF about this, um, is that when I found my inner richness and, and my energy and my bigness, I had to go through dark night of the soul for years, for like five years complete isolation, crying, shaking, getting it out. I couldn't avoid it. And when I completely embraced it, I was in my flow, you know, but then again, I don't know if I'm defining it the same way as this book is and I'm new. Um, so I don't, I don't know, but um, just, just to kind of add on to, yeah, like all, all emotions should be um, taken into account um none are bad but at the same time it is a compass it's telling you what needs to be tweaked it's telling you something about your mindset it's telling you something about your body that something needs to be healed or it's telling you something about your spirit it wants a different experience so um it, yeah in order to get through it you have to embrace it but at the same time the root of what's being embraced is, is the diamond in the rough. The, the root of what's being embraced in the moment of the darkness is the essence, the invisible essence that gets you through and that keeps you going. If that makes sense. So, yeah. Thank you, Jacqueline. And that actually is even just the perfect setup for what we're going to be doing next week because next week's chapter is called Cheating Chaos. And it's going to be all about the relationship between flow and and chaos and disorder. So MC defines flow as bringing order to consciousness. But I think your point is absolutely valid that, that these are two halves of one whole that we experience in life. So that's exactly what we're going to talk about next time. Um, it looks like, Marissa, it looks like a couple people raised their hands. Evan Neek has her hand up. All right. Evan Neek has her hand up. And then, um, Ebony, why don't you go last? And, and Ebony, am I right that you're leading the next session here at 9 p.m.? So maybe you even want to tell people about it? Um, I'm not leading it. Oh, um, are you? I led the one, me and Christiane led the one uh, Wednesday night on oh, Harry okay. Potter. Oh, okay. I am participating in the next one. So I can say uh, we're studying the book of John, the last part of chapter one and the first part of chapter two. Um, but, uh, and it's a very interesting topic. We go deep into like what it means, not only in Christianity, but just in life, like kind of like we're doing the Tao Te Ching a little bit. It's that same type of feeling where we're exploring, like, what does it mean? Uh, what, is, what is Jesus saying? And it's not like in the Christian sense, but just in like what is in the text. <laughs> so it's a very interesting conversation. And I think everybody will get a lot out of it, but no, I'm not leaving it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, you'll, you'll at least be there. Thanks for, for letting everybody know what, what's coming next, but we, we have just a couple minutes left. So we'll do your question and then we'll, we'll close out here.
or whatever else, whatever last comment you wanted to have here about that flow. Okay, so um, just the real quick about flow, I think, so I was thinking about what Jacqueline said and then what Joiti uh, uh, said. And I, oh, sorry. Um, so I was thinking loneliness, I know we were saying it's out of flow, but I don't know how out of flow it is. I, I think a lot of good things could come out of loneliness. And I think there's a lot of people that got into flow because of loneliness and they needed to find something. So maybe it's not a part of flow, but I think it leads to flow in that you're lonely. So then you go inward and you figure out what you want to put out into the world or you figure out what you want for yourself. So that's all I want to say. I just want to say very quick to that, um, Evanique. MC agrees with you. All roads can potentially lead to flow. Not necessarily that they will, but the um, possibility exists. He believes that we can convert any situation potentially into a flow state. So we are now almost out of time. And I see just a couple of people here even bring up some good suggestions maybe for next time because we, we really only got to the very first question of everyone's questions. And you guys all had some really interesting insights and input, I think, on this question. But now we've, we've not got a chance to get to everyone else's really interesting question too. So maybe next time we'll, we'll think about uh, you know, limiting the time for each question so we, we'll be able to get to more of your great questions. And I'll even save this so you know, maybe we'll even be able to make time for it. The questions we couldn't get to today. Maritza, any last thoughts to take us out tonight? Um, well, just the one that uh, one of the questions was on chaos, so we can definitely tackle that next week. And the other is I just want to remind you guys that um, sometimes hearing the question is more important than discussing the answer. So we are all still enriched for having heard the questions, even if we didn't get the chance to um, discuss them all in depth. And um, also I ask you guys to embrace the concept of the duality of loneliness and companionship. And that's what I think should be our lovely takeaway here today. Thank you. And thank you everyone for joining us. And we'll see you in two weeks for flow and cheating chaos or cheating cows as Maritza will say, <laughs> which I like much better. <laughs> Thank you both. Thank you, Marissa. Thank you, Joya. Bye, guys. Thank Bye. you. Good night. See you in two weeks. Thank you. Bye. This episode may be done, but you can always find more travel ideas and opportunities at Delve Travel. Just visit delvetravel.com. The adventure continues. Ask me why.